Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, good morning, everyone, and it's it's a pleasure to be together again in this way. And welcome to Strength to Strength. And we're looking forward to seeing the kingdom message visually presented by Sean Miller here this morning. Yeah, good, good, good you got there, Sean, and got, got yourself in in spite of the storm. And I think we'll have a prayer here before we get started. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this new morning you've blessed us with, and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercies again. Father, thank you for um, the way that you have loved us, and thank you for your son whom you sent and the kingdom that he instituted. And I just pray, Lord, that you would um, be with Sean as he shares this message this morning and uh, the time he's put into developing this and bless him for that. And I just pray, Lord, you would you'd be glorified by by our lives and by the way that we use our time and efforts for your kingdom. Pray your blessing on this time and and on our families as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Yeah, so I know Sean a little bit because we got to spend our time in State College overlapped a little bit last summer, I guess it was, um, before we moved away and while Sean came to for some training at Penn State, I believe. So, so, I, so I guess you're back in Ohio, Sean, right now. Yep. So, yeah. Um, glad to have you on this morning and go ahead and share what you have. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and grace and peace to all of you. It's a privilege to be uh, on the call this morning. Uh, my ER manager graciously allowed me to use her office this morning. Uh, for this purpose, so um, in January of 2019, I had the privilege of working in Bangladesh with the refugee crisis, and it was during this time that there were elections happening in Bangladesh, and I was working with a number of co-workers who were very anxious to vote. Uh, there was a lot of chaos during that time, so they have little public transportation vehicles called CNGs. They run off compressed natural gas. And they would put loudspeakers on top of these CNGs and would go up and down the street just blaring their support for a specific candidate. And there were also rallies where people would group together and just walk up the street, block all the traffic, and shout their campaign slogans as well. And three days prior to the actual voting day, they shut off the cellular data. And it was just a lot of chaos going on. It was crazy. But it was very fascinating to watch. And on the day of elections, uh, my Bangladeshi co-workers went to cast their vote. And there were two ways that they could do this. They could do it electronically. Uh, or they could do it with a paper ballot, fill out a paper and throw it into a box. And for those who tried to electronically cast a vote, a message popped up on the screen that said, your vote has been cast already. And 
the some of the people who went to fill out paper ballots uh, got there at the time when voting started and some of the boxes were full already. Out of all my Bangladeshi co-workers, only one of them actually got to vote. All the others tried, but their vote had been cast before they got there. <laughs> so I guess you could say that's a little bit of a rigged election there possibly, but it was very fascinating to watch that. And it was during this time that I had a doctor friend in Bangladesh. He was a Bangladeshi. And he's a very thoughtful and curious person. And with all the elections going on, he had asked me who I voted for in the previous American election. And I just shrugged it off a little bit said, I don't vote or I didn't vote. But he's a very thoughtful person, curious about uh, why we did certain things. So we were standing beside the road one day waiting for our ride home from our clinic there in the refugee camp. And he asked me, so why don't you all vote or why did you not vote in the last election in America? And I quickly wanted my, my first respond, my initial reaction was I wanted to give a quick little three minute dissertation on why I don't vote. And I thought better of it. And I said, you know, this is a pretty complicated topic. Can I just come to your house some evening and we can talk about this further? And so he's like, yeah, sure. A few evenings later, I went to his house and I sat down with a clean sheet of paper and a pen and I drew up what I feel the kingdom of God looks like and why I do things the way I do and my position on some of these issues. And it seemed to make real clear sense to him and he really appreciated it. It took about 30 minutes. And since then, I've used this same thing with a few other people, and it's it's and it's, it's been a blessing to to use it. And I I decided to put it into a, a PowerPoint format, and I think it's well worth it to give people an understanding of the kingdom of God and the teachings of Jesus as we look at that. And so I'll share my screen and we'll go through this PowerPoint. But this PowerPoint is. Uh, comes from that discussion I had with him. And I, like I said, I've used it since then uh, with other people. And let's see if I can share it here. What was the theme of Jesus' teaching and ministry? So many people misunderstand the theme of Jesus' teaching and ministry. The word kingdom is is used a lot in the Gospels. And in the Gospels alone, without the rest of the New Testament, it's used 125 times. This is pretty significant. The phrase, the kingdom of God, is used 55 times. The kingdom of heaven is used 33 times. Compare that to uh, some of the other words that we like to harp on a lot. Salvation is used 11 times. Uh, born again is used two times only, and this is found in John chapter 3, where Jesus talked to Nicodemus. And repent or repentance is used 19 times. And this is, again, only in the Gospels, not in the rest of the New Testament. But it's pretty, it's pretty clear here that the dominant theme in Jesus' teaching and ministry was the kingdom of God. But this has been largely ignored and uh, by modern Christianity. And so much of popular Christianity is believe in Jesus and get saved so that you can go to heaven. But I like uh, in the book, The Marvelous Kingdom of God, they say there's a much better way to look at this. And the way to look at it is the kingdom of God is here. 
Let your life be transformed and live heaven's way right now on earth and in the age to come. And so what is the kingdom of God? You know, these thoughts are not necessarily original with me. I just gathered it from a lot of different people or books or speeches that I've listened to. And this is more just a visual presentation to, I'm a visual learner, and so this helps me uh, see how the kingdom of God is. And I would hope that, you know, kingdom Christians could use this as a tool in their outreach and explaining why we do these, why we do certain things the way we do. This is usually a, 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 an open discussion where, you know, if I talk with people, I like it to be interactive. It's a little hard to do that on Zoom, and so we'll just go through it without the interactive part. But it's enjoyable to do for it's enjoyable to have an interactive part where uh, where you can have questions and answers. But we'll leave that for the end. <clears throat> so, what does the kingdom of God look like? First of all, there's there's four components to a country or a nation or a kingdom. There's four components that are needed to make it a country. And the first one is a leader. It needs a leader. In the United States of America, we call it a president. Some people, some countries have a prime minister, dictator, king. There's, there's different ways that we use, different titles that we use to um, name our leaders. Uh, there's also laws. So every country <clears throat> needs to have laws. Every country has land, and every country has citizens. And these are basically the four building blocks of what it takes to be a country or a nation or a kingdom. And so let's look at the United States of America, for example. And these are very basic elementary principles that we can all understand. The United States of America has a leader. Right now, President Joe Biden is the leader of America, the president. We also have laws in America, and these laws we call the Constitution. Uh, that's the bulk of the laws of America. We have a land area that we call America, obviously. And then we also have citizens that we call Americans. There again, the, the four basic building blocks of what it means to um, be a part of our... Okay, sorry about that. Um, so four basic building blocks. So like I said previously, I lived in Bangladesh. And so here's just another very uh, simple understanding of, of a country. So Bangladesh also has a leader. And currently they have a prime minister. Her, na her name is Sheikh Hasina, which is very ironic since they're an Islamic country and they have a, a lady president or prime minister. They also have laws which they call a constitution. Now, some countries might not call it a constitution, but this country does call it a constitution as well. They have a land area called Bangladesh, and they have they have citizens called Bangladeshis. There again, very basic principles of what a country looks like. All right, so here again we have. We have two distinct countries. We have President Joe Biden, Constitution and America on one side. And we have Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina, Constitution and Bangladeshis on the other side. So two distinct nations, two distinct uh, laws, and two distinct land areas. 
They're distinct from each other. They're different. They ha have their own identity. And so keep this thought in mind as we look into the kingdom of God. We're, we're going to put this, this aside for a little bit. We're going to discuss a few terms before we go on into the kingdom of God. But keep this thought in mind. So there's a couple terms that we need to define before we go on and, and talk about the kingdom of God. And the first one is translation. So translation is simply a rendering from one language to another. It conveys meaning. And I think we can all understand this. So in English, we say one, two, three, four. In Spanish, we'll say uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Very simple. Direct translation from English into Spanish. There's another word, transliteration, and this is different from translation. It's to represent or spell in the characters of another alphabet. It conveys sound. So, for example, a lot of names are transliterated. In, in English, we'll say Jesus Christ. In Spanish, they'll say Jesucristo. In Creole, they say Jesucristo. In German, they say, yes, it's Christ. It, you know, it conveys sound. You can kind of hear it in the different languages. And when I lived in Mexico with a tribal group down there, they tried to transliterate my name, Sean, into their local dialect, and they could not say my name. They couldn't transliterate it. They tried really hard, but they couldn't. I finally went by my middle name, uh, David. And... So also, when you know, when we read through the book of Numbers or another list of names there in the Bible, sometimes it's really hard for us to pronounce some of these strange names. And it's because they're transliterated. The, the sound is trying to be conveyed, not necessarily the, the meaning of their names. All right. The next one, gospel, good news. I think we can all, this is very simple. We understand that. The last one, Christ. This one is a little more controversial, maybe, but it's actually not a name. It means the anointed one or the king. <clears throat> and this word has actually been transliterated. It, it shouldn't be transliterated. It should actually be trans translated. It should be translated into the anointed one or the king. And I'm not going to go in depth with this this morning, but there's a whole book about it entitled The Problem with Christ. It's a very fascinating book if you want a deeper, deeper look at that. And so therefore... Jesus Christ could be translated as Jesus the King, and Christ Jesus could also be translated as King Jesus. And this is very fascinating when you uh, look, when you read through the New Testament and replace Christ with King, and you can almost always do that. With, you can almost always replace Christ with King or the King. And it gives a really unique perspective to some of these New Testament passages. It's very fascinating. So with that in mind, what does God's kingdom look like? So God's kingdom also has four components. First of all, there's a leader. We have King Jesus. Um, as Berceau said in his book, earthly kingdoms periodically change rulers and policies. In contrast, Jesus is eternal and his policies don't change. Here's a holy nation you can commit to because here is a leader who will never die, retire, nor be forced out of office due to scandal. Here is a servant king whose reign is eternal. That's beautiful. A servant king whose reign is eternal. His kingdom will never end. Our leader, Jesus. So what about laws? So there, or a constitution. There is also laws or a constitution to 
God's kingdom. And I would contend that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is the constitution of Jesus. Now, it's not limited to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It, it, uh, um, a lot of the core teachings of Jesus are found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but there are also, this also includes the rest of the New Testament. We need to be sure that we follow the rest of the teachings of Jesus as well. And the Sermon on the Mount has little, if anything, to do in common with the codes of this world. It's a completely different code system, and it, it's beautiful. It's something that is lasting. What about a land area? Well, the kingdom of God is throughout the world. Jesus' kingdom is international. Jesus came as a king with all the intended consequences of that terminology. His citizens are dispersed among all nations of the world. It's an international kingdom. It is not limited by bound, by boundaries. It's an international kingdom. And, of course, it has citizens which we know as Christians. All who believe in Jesus the King and are genuinely born again are part of this kingdom. To be a kingdom person means to be under the reign of God. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye might show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In time past, we were not a people, but are now the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Beautiful. God's kingdom will last forever. It's a heavenly kingdom, and it will last throughout all eternity. And we as citizens are part, of, we as Christians are citizens of this kingdom by <clears throat> fighting for a cause that will last forever. There are a lot of verses in the New Testament that proclaim Jesus as king. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but in Matthew chapter 2, uh, the wise men came from the east, look, or came, yeah, from the east looking for a king that was born. In Luke chapter 19, the multitude of disciples were praising God and blessing the king that comes in the name of the Lord. In John 18, Jesus confesses to Pilate that he is a king. And in Acts 17, I love this verse. This is probably one of my favorite ones where unbelievers were proclaiming Jesus as king or unbelievers were accusing the disciples of, of lifting up another person or someone else who is a king. And this one was Jesus. I love that verse. And then Daniel 2.44, there's a prophecy of the coming kingdom of God. So there's some confusion on how these kingdoms correlate with each other. One way to view this, so we have, you know, we have America and we have Bangladesh and, you know, there, there are two distinct kingdoms. And then we have the kingdom of God. How do they, how do they correlate with each other? Uh, and what is our position in, in all of these? One way to view this is that Jesus' kingdom is an overarching kingdom. Christians in the various nations comprise a citizenry of heaven that supersedes all other loyalties. He gets our primary focus and attention. It's an overarching kingdom. 
And so when his laws contradict man's laws, we need to obey Jesus first. We as Christians are part of an earthly nation because we are in the world, but most importantly, we are part of a heavenly kingdom. So in the marvelous in the book, The Marvelous Kingdom of God, they make the statement, the kingdom of God will be manifest in this world, but it is not a kingdom of the world. But it will be manifest in the world, but it, it isn't a part of, the, of a worldly kingdom or an earthly kingdom. Earthly kingdoms will rise and fall, but the kingdom of Jesus will last forever. So which kingdom do you want to be a part of? The one that lasts for a short time or the one that lasts forever? Another way to view this as well is that we as Christians are ambassadors in an earthly nation. So obviously I'm an American and I'm, I'm part of the United States of America. But I think one of, and this is where sometimes it can get a little confusing for some people, but I am first and foremost a, king, uh, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And therefore I'm an ambassador of his kingdom in the place where I live, which is America right now. And we'll look at this a little more in depth, but Brother Dwight and Isley shared a talk on ambassadors earlier, and I would encourage you to go and listen to that if you haven't done that yet. And so if I'm an ambassador, what does that look like? Some of these, here are some things that ambassadors from the United States are committed to or that they are supposed to do. And one of the tasks that they need to do is they need, they are, they need to speak with one voice to others on U.S. policy. Speaking with one voice sounds fairly similar to uh, unity. Cooperating with the U.S. legislative and judicial branches so that the U.S. foreign policy goals are advanced. It sounds like advancing the kingdom. You know, we can inter we can translate this into what does it look like for us as Christians to be ambassadors. Another thing ambassadors do: serving Americans with professional excellence, the highest standards of ethical conduct and diplomatic discretion, servanthood, taking direct responsibility for the security of the mission, including security from terrorism, and protecting all U.S. government personnel on official duty. Sounds like protecting each other as citizens of God's kingdom versus fighting against each other. And so we as ambassadors of the kingdom of God are supposed to be united, advancing the kingdom of God as servants and protecting each other rather than fighting against each other. And therefore, since I'm living in America, I'm an ambassador from the kingdom of God, and I try to do these things here in, with the kingdom of God as my perspective. So the next four slides here are scenarios that we can go through. And I'm only touching on them briefly because all four of these can go like in depth and talk about it more. But this is just to break it down to show how I visually like to present the kingdom of God uh, to those around me. And I found it beneficial. So first of all, breaking the law and James, it says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he's guilty of all. So an example of this is an American, if I get stopped for speeding, I can't just justify myself in the front of the police and say, you know, I've kept the whole law and other points, but, and therefore you can't judge or penalize me for, you know, speeding. 
That would be pretty insane. So also when I'm part of the kingdom of God, I, I obey all the teachings of Jesus. Not only one of them, not only five of them, but all of them. I don't omit any. Living the kingdom life takes an obedient, love-faith relationship with Jesus. And once we understand this idea of living heaven on earth, so many of the unreasonable things that Jesus says to do in the Sermon on the Mount begins to make sense. Our commitment to search this sermon out, pray over it, and courageously obey it will show whether we want to live the kingdom or just want to shape our own version of it. But if we create our own version of it, we contradict its basic message, total submission to the will of the king. I like that. If we create our own version of it, we contradict its basic message, total submission to the will of the king. We are required to obey all the teachings of Jesus. And it shouldn't be required. It should be a joy to do that. A love-based relationship with Jesus. Scenario two, what about a civil war when there's a civil war? So in America, there was a civil war. And that was during the time that President Lincoln was the president of the United States. And here we had Americans fighting against American citizens fighting against each other. It was interesting. There were two brothers, and there's various stories about this, but there were two brothers, Alex and James Campbell, who fought in the Civil War. And they ended up actually fighting against each other. One was for the North and one was for the South. And Alex Campbell wrote a letter home to his wife, and he said, we are not far from each other now. This was a war that there never was the like of before, brother against brother. And he was just horrified that he almost, like he was fighting in the same battle against his brother. President Lincoln made the famous statement, the house divided against itself cannot stand. And so also when we as Christians get into a, quote, civil war with each other and fight against each other, there's a lot of chaos. And the key takeaway here is chaos reigns when fellow citizens fight. When there's fighting and bickering among the citizens in the kingdom of God, chaos reigns. And so if you have Christians fighting against Christians, there's a lot of chaos. The scriptures say, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Scenario three, world war. So obviously right now in Ukraine and Russia, that would be a better example right now, but there's a lot of fighting going on over there. But let's just pretend for now that President Joe Biden declares war on Bangladesh against Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina. And again, a better analogy today would be Ukraine and Russia. But so let's say there's a war going on. So now we have two countries fighting against each other. And there's a clear division. There's citizens in America fighting against citizens of Bangladesh. And so where do we as Christians fit into all of this? There are Christians in America and there are Christians in Bangladesh, and I know this for a fact. And so therefore, if Christians join the Americans in the battle against Bangladesh, they are also fighting against Christians in Bangladesh if the Christians in Bangladesh decide to fight as well. And so when Christians join the armies, 
on both sides. They're actually fighting against each other. And this is really sad because this is actually Christians fighting against Christians. Now, remember, Christians are citizens of the kingdom of God, and therefore, it's citizens fighting against fellow citizens, which mimics a civil war. And when there's a civil war, there's chaos. And there again, I think a lot of our brothers in Russia and Ukraine are facing this right now, the ones who decide not to take up arms because they do not want to fight um, against their fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. However, let's just, let's just imagine or think about this. So let's pretend that there are no Christians in Bangladesh. Would that give Christians in America permission now to fight in the war? Well, if Christians join the uh, join the army and fight against Bangladesh as no Christians now, we are now fighting against non-Christians and sending them prematurely to judgment. And this goes against all the New Testament has to say about uh, the way Christians are supposed to treat non-Christians. The Christians are hastening their judgment. This, this does not make sense. This is not what we are supposed to be doing. It was interesting Someone made the comment once that during World War II, Christian Germany was fighting against Christian allies. And this is really sad. This is, this is fellow citizens fighting against each other. And I think we all know that there are Christians throughout the whole world. Therefore, what would it not be much better if Christians would recognize that they are under one banner, the banner of Jesus, and they are fighting for a higher cause, not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. And if they could unite and join together fighting for the cause of the kingdom, spiritually speaking, for the kingdom of God, there's so many better ways to do things than to kill and to destroy. We can love, we can feed the hungry, we can give water to the thirsty. There's so many better ways for Christians to utilize their resources during a time of war. There's a lot of supporting verses for this, and I'm not going to go through and read them for the sake of time here this morning, but this PowerPoint will be available after the talk if you want to go through and read these verses. But pretty much showing that our kingdom is not of this world. It is a heavenly kingdom, and therefore we do not fight. We do not go to war against our fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, nor against unbelievers. Okay, how about voting? So this was the topic that I talked with my doctor friend in Bangladesh. And one thing I want to make clear is that I can't point to one verse in the scriptures that says, you know, thou shalt not vote. You know, we can't point to a verse like that. However, when we have an understanding of the two kingdom concept, I think some of these things clear up for us. And so following are some of the reasons why I don't vote personally. And you can take that as you wish. And first of all, going back to the thought of ambassadors, ambassadors don't have a right to vote in the country they are serving. They only represent their country. So the American ambassador in Bangladesh could not vote in the Bangladeshi election. It would be a conflict of interest. He is from America, and his first and foremost allegiance is American. Therefore, he will not vote. We as Christians are ambassadors representing a heavenly kingdom. Should we vote in an earthly country? Politics and voting divide Christians. There are Christians on all sides of an election that feel equally strong about voting for their party's leader 
because he or she has better policies. The problem is most leaders will have some kind of immoral non-Christian behavior. Therefore, the, the division among Christians about who to vote for is based on their worldview of which one's policy is the lesser of two evils. Our primary allegiance is to the international people of Jesus rather than our personal national state. There is a conflict between the commander-in-chief and the prince of peace, Jesus. We can't vote for both. And lastly, the next elected president will drop a bomb. Every president does that. Do I want to support him in that by voting for him? In the book, The Marvelous Kingdom of God, they say, they make a strong statement. And I really like it. They say, home for the Christians is the church, not the nation. Nationalism is an enemy of the gospel of the kingdom, just as surely as is racism, classism, and sexism. There again, home for the Christians is the church, not the nation. Nationalism is an enemy of the gospel of the kingdom. So here we have it again, Jesus' kingdom being an overarching kingdom. Just a brief review here. Therefore, because I am a citizen and an ambassador of the kingdom of God, I will not vote in the next election. Because I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, I will not fight against my own fellow citizens of God's kingdom nor against non-believers, lest I send them prematurely to judgment. Because I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, I will uphold all the teachings of Jesus by the grace of God. Can we as Christians unite under the banner of Jesus and fight valiantly for his kingdom, for a greater cause, for a cause that will last throughout all eternity? Here's a slide with um, something I drew up on this paper. And I will make an open confession that I do not have the neatest handwriting in the world, but <laughs> it gets the point across here, I think. And this is kind of how I like to more or less draw it up when I'm talking with someone one-on-one. -on -one. And obviously you can do this however you want to, but, but when, when I've discovered when I do this one-on-one -on -one with someone, it leads to a lot of discussion. It stimulates a lot of discussion. And these discussions can kind of go any which way. It could be about war. It could be about voting. It can be about other teachings of Jesus. And I like using this to show this is why I stand on the kingdom of God. This is why I stand on the teachings of Jesus. This is why I do certain things a certain way, even if it looks weird to the rest of the world. And I, would, um, I, I really enjoy using this method uh, when I talk with people so that they have an understanding of where I'm coming from. And there again, a visual presentation uh, that helps me as well as the people I'm talking with. Uh, the rest of these slides, I'm gonna skip through for the sake of time. You can look at them after the talk and I will turn the time back over to you, Wendell. Hey, well, thank you, Sean. Thanks for sharing that and um, yeah. That visual, that's good. That's great. So one question I have for you, you referred to the book, The Marvelous Kingdom of God. And do you mind what do you have? Like, who was the authors of that book? Maybe we can put a link on that for that with this talk as well. But Yeah, the authors, uh, it's 
Uh, let me see here. See if I can pull up their names here. It was, uh, I believe it's Tom Jones and then a man by the name of Brown, and I forget his first name right now. But yeah, the title of the book is The Marvelous Kingdom of God by Jones and Brown. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to open this up to anyone else who has questions, and whether it's about Sean's message or, yeah, methods of presentation. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for developing that, and I'm sure that can be helpful for someone who's a visual learner, like you say. So what what, what are your questions? Comments, discussions? First of all, this is John Martin. Uh, that book is available from Scroll Publishing if you want to get the book. It's a publication originated by the uh, International Church of Christ. I had a question about the lands part of it. Uh, the idea of Christians being dispersed throughout the world, that certainly is true. But it sort of gives the idea that it's uh, sort of an invisible kingdom. Uh, these are individual Christians scattered all over. Uh, I like to use the word domain instead of the word land. And I like to say that the church is that element of the kingdom and it's visible uh, because mm-hmm. it is a body that can be seen. Uh, so I would just add that to the discussion. Yeah, thank you for that, John. And, and there again, the book, The Model of the Kingdom of God, does bring that out. And they also bring out that it's not necessarily limited to uh people on the earth, it extends beyond that into the heavenly realms, and it's something that we can't necessarily grasp, maybe. Um, but yeah, thank you for clarifying that, because the kingdom of God is a visible kingdom in the world here. My next question is, how visible should it be? Should a church develop a culture that's actually visible, or should the church even be sort of invisible in the community? How much visibility should the church have? Don, I feel you're more qualified to answer that than I am. So, <laughs> um, but I personally feel that it should be very visible uh, to those around us. Um, that part of the calling of God is to go preach the good news to those all around us. And um, we should not be ashamed to visibly, visibly and show that we are part of a different kingdom and also uh, verbally proclaim that we are part of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I think we have nothing to be ashamed about when it comes to that. And so, I, yeah, I do believe it should be very visible. Well, if I may say one more thing, I think that was the genius of our plain people. They had the courage to actually make their beliefs and values visible in a very distinct way. And there has been a tremendous tendency in my lifetime to downgrade the idea of, of any kind of cultural distinctives. I think that was a mistake. I think that tended to individualism, self-expression, and finally assimilation and acculturation. And I would just call upon our people to embrace the idea of culture and uh, have the courage to actually have your congregation develop a visible expression of what you believe and what you value. I say balance. The constant balancing act. When you're balancing, you're constantly adjusting. On the one hand, uh, Christians were described as those who have turned the world upside down. And in that instance, they were very conspicuous. On the other hand, we're, uh, we're told to pray, uh, 
for our government so that we can lead quiet and uh, peaceful lives. So <clears throat> two sides of the same coin, constant balance, adjusting all the time. Mm-hmm. Interested in hearing the comments of others on this subject. Uh, I really think it has been a mistake to downgrade traditional Mennonite culture without replacing it with other distinctive features. Uh, and like I said, I, I think we should, as our congregations have the courage to develop a visible expression, a unified visible expression of what we believe and what we value. Uh, I have, obviously I have a different perspective. I do respect the, the uh, people who, uh, have a conspicuous and distinctive look that is, uh, that speaks of humility and, uh, separation. And I don't participate in it, but I've got my own. When I go to work, I, I work, uh, I'm the second rung from the bottom in what I do. I'm a substitute classroom aide in public schools. When I go to work, I put on uh, a shirt and tie. Uh, I often look better, way better than the principal of the school. And I do that for four reasons. Number one, it's pushback. In our, in our attempt to develop a, a classless society in the United States, we've developed a classless society. If that confuses you, I'll be happy to elaborate on it later. Number two is it makes me take my attitude toward myself differently with higher standards. And the same is true of how my colleagues and, and, uh, <clears throat> superiors, uh, see me as well. And third, it's just, I put on a colorful shirt and a colorful tie because it just brings color into the, into the, uh, mix and brings cheer. And I think that I see it as a ministry. So I think that I'm, uh, a prong on the same fork as uh, a Mennonite who conspicuously wears a Mennonite style. And I will now shut up. John, I really enjoyed your um, presentation. Um, just, just your thoughts clarified what I've been thinking, but I didn't have the ability to express it in a PowerPoint. Thank you very much, though. Thank you, Brother Patrick. I appreciate that. And yeah, I would encourage you to use it with other people who might be confused about why we do certain things the way we do and why we believe certain things the way we do. It, it definitely is worth it. It takes, when I do it with people, it usually takes about 30 minutes when I, to draw it up on a piece of paper. And it's a 30 minutes well worth spending rather than trying to give a quick two or three minute dissertation on why we do certain things. Yeah, I also want to say it was a very good presentation. I especially like the uh, uh, exposure of the fact that if Christians are going to fight in in war, they're going to fight against each other. And even if they vote, they're voting uh, against each other. I I think that was a powerful point. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Any any other comments? I think Sean needs to get off here pretty soon, so. We should get this wrapped up. Just give a last call here. Well, if not, thank you, Sean. Um, yeah, I, I think, too, you 
I think you demonstrated well the the importance of taking a little time and explaining things more than just a quick answer. Maybe, maybe more useful, you know, say on, on the on your discussion about voting. And thanks for spending that time explaining that to your coworker there. And thanks for sharing this with us. So I believe this whole slide slideshow PowerPoint is going to be available, right, Sean? And you're okay with anyone else using it? Yes. Yeah, it, it should be available um, on the website here after we're done, I believe. Right. Okay, very good. Well, um, Sean, would you lead us in a closing prayer here yet? Sure, let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, that we can be your children and heirs of the, yeah, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. This is something that we do not deserve. Thank you for the beautiful the marvelous kingdom of God that will last throughout all eternity. And we as Christians are part of that kingdom because you have allowed us to enter through Jesus. And we thank you so much for that. And help us to fight valiantly and boldly proclaim the kingdom of God to those around us. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Just pray that you would guide and direct our steps as we go throughout this day. May we bring honor and glory to you in our words and our thoughts. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. And I believe, and I'll get you to verify this, Glenn, but I believe we're having a special a special testimony next Saturday. Is that right? We're still on for that. Yeah, there is a testimony being shared next uh, Saturday. Uh, it's not a special event as had previously been uh, listed on the website, but instead of that, we're having um, a brother um, who's working with all nations, Bible translations. He'll be sharing his uh, testimony. He's a translator uh, living in Mexico and I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I think the first name may be Jose. Testament on his journey to kingdom Christianity, I think is right. Yeah. So welcome back for, for that next Saturday and God bless your day. Uh, that's not next Saturday. It's the following. Thank you. Uh, next Saturday is an off week. So it's the following Saturday. Thank you. Well, goodbye and God bless your day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.